Welcome to this episode of Wailingborough, a local ghost story podcast, detailing some of the hauntings and scary stories of Wellingborough. We'll be exploring the history behind these hauntings and the buildings that host these stories. We are your hosts, Kirsten and Ross, members of the Wellingborough Young Producers at Wartsnall Theatre. In this episode, we are talking about a tragic story of love, betrayal and murder that happened a long time ago in Wellingborough when Charles I visited. Thank you to Erin who is reading this story for you today. Erin is a member of the Young Producers at Wartsnall Theatre. Now, sit back, listen, breathe, turn out the lights. Thank you. There are only a few powers that remain potent over time. Love, hate and money. In listening to ghost stories, you will undoubtedly hear stories of angry, wailing ghosts and vengeful spirits. But it's a rarity that it's the sheer power of love that keeps souls trapped. But this story, that could come from the very pages of Shakespeare, contains the tragedy of star-crossed lovers right in our very own town. In the 17th century, Wellingborough was becoming famous for its healing wells, a fact that any person who has lived in Wellingborough for longer than five minutes could tell you. But the water in the wells had gained royal attention. In 1628, King Charles I and his wife Henrietta visited the wells, staying at the White Swan, which is now the Old England. In true royal fashion, the crowned couple brought a horde of courtly entourage. One of the Queen's attendants was a beautiful woman named Isabel, the first player within our unlucky love triangle. The second was an unnamed cavalier, the object of Isabel's affections. Isabel was deeply in love with the cavalier, and he loved her in return, but in a court known for intrigue and betrayal, of which anyone familiar with Charles I's unlucky reign would be aware of, it is only fitting that the young couple were not destined for happiness, and the instrument of their downfall was one of the king's advisers. His name has been lost to history, but the man was in love with the lovely Isabel. He was besotted with the young courtier and sought to make her his own. This was his intention after all, but there was a roadblock in the shape of a handsome cavalier. He soon found out about the attachment between the young man and woman and the adviser was incest, obsessed with jealousy. His desire for Isabel and his hatred for the young man was uppermost in his mind. It was all the adviser could think of. But, luckily for him, and unfortunate for our young couple, his patience paid off. The king confided in his adviser that he sought a messenger to take an important letter to London, and it had to be someone trustworthy. This chance to be rid of his rival was something the adviser could not pass up. Like Iago whispering poison into Othello's ear, the adviser informed the king of the young man's strengths, his trustworthiness and his suitability for the job. The king did not need much more convincing, and he agreed to send Isabel's lover to London that very evening. The cavalier set off alone. He saddled up his horse in the white swan stable yard, lit dimly by the moonlight. He took the fastest horse he could, not wanting to be away from Isabel's side for longer than he needed to. The cavalier knew the route back to London well. The court party had taken that very route not three days before. The route took him towards the River Nen. A mile into the journey, the path narrowed and was closed in either side by tall trees, giving the path an almost claustrophobic feeling. But the man was a soldier and a strong horseman. It would take more than being in the woods at night to put a chill up his spine. If he had known that he was not alone in the forest, he would certainly have felt more concerned. The overhanging branches of the woods made it impossible for him to ride upon his horse, so the cavalier dismounted and led his horse along the moonlit path. 
He guided his horse down the slope towards the river, unaware of the dark eyes watching his every move. Unbeknown to the cavalier, the adviser had left the stables but a few moments before him and was hiding within the trees. As his rival neared the river, the adviser sprang out of the darkness, sword in hand. The man pierced through the cavalier's heart, making him fall to the ground, dying, as his startled horse ran off into the distance. The adviser took the cavalier's money and possessions, staging the scene as a robbery. He then fumbled with the cavalier's corpse, dumping it within the waters. The adviser, having just committed murder, raced back to the White Swan. With the court distracted by a party held in the king's honour, the adviser went back to his chambers, hastily changed from his bloodstained clothes and buried them beneath his bed before joining in with the dancing and merriment. The adviser marvelled at his luck. The timing could not have been better. On the same evening that his rival was sent to travel alone, the court was having a party, a perfect cover for him to return. Only one person had noticed his absence and hurried entrance. Isabel. The sun rose and the light glittered on the fresh water of the Nen as a merchant on his way back to Wellingborough from London neared the end of his journey. The man was glad to nearly be home, having travelled through the night, but as he saw a bobbing bundle within the current, he knew his journey would become significantly longer. The merchant waded into the water, grabbed the partially submerged corpse and dragged it to the bank. He knew that the royal court was visiting Wellingborough and it had been the talk of the town for weeks. He also knew that the body's waterlogged yet fine clothing was far too expensive to have belonged to any of the Wellingborough residents. So he loaded the body into his wagon and quickened his pace into Wellingborough. Though he felt it was his duty to return the body to the town, he wasn't exactly fond of having a corpse within his merchandise. The man knocked on the door of the White Swan, awakening the landlord, who was then given the unfortunate job of waking up the court to inform them of the tragic event. Queen Henrietta, the only other person to know of the attachment between Isabel and the Cavalier, woke up the young girl and broke the news. Isabel was distraught. With the ruthless way his body had been disposed of and the lack of money and possessions upon his body, the king had decided that the Cavalier was a victim of a robbery gone wrong. Although Isabel had been told that her lover had died of the hands of a robber, she had her doubts about this. She could not believe that her lover would have been a victim to a common robber. He was a soldier, after all. He would have been able to defend himself. Unless the cavalier had been blindsided, Isabel confided in her queen, telling Henrietta of her doubts and her suspicion of the adviser. She begged the queen to question the adviser, to find out his whereabouts of the night before and search his chambers. Henrietta, though having as much faith in the adviser as her husband, was fond of Isabel and informed her husband of Isabel's allegations. The king sent servants to search the adviser's chambers, he must have been certain in his ability to dodge blame for the cavalier's death because it did not take the servants long to find his blood-soaked clothes and the boots caked with mud. His sword was painted with dried blood. Witnesses confirmed that they'd seen two men leaving the white swan that night, the adviser first and then the cavalier. The man had walked right into the adviser's trap. With the evidence unrelenting, the adviser was called before the king. Charles demanded to know what had happened that night. The adviser, being at court a clever man, knew when he was backed into a corner. He admitted his guilt, taking the blame for the murder with pride. The adviser returned to London in shackles, being stripped of his titles and land and all his riches. The man was tried and found guilty, being sentenced to hang until he was dead. The court spent three more days within Wellingborough, though hardly any of them left the white swan for a moment. Isabel was heartbroken. Each day she became weaker and paler, almost unable to walk unaided. 
Mostly to save face and also for Isabel's benefit, the court party had plans to return to London. Being the quickest, most direct route, the court planned to travel the same path the courtier took on that fateful night. For a moment, the Queen's carriage halted on the very spot the cavalier died. The horses would not move, no matter how hard the coachman tried to move them along. Isabel peered out the window, staring at the very spot where her lover was murdered. Without warning or any sign, Isabel's heart simply stopped. No matter how hard the Queen tried to wake her dear friend, she was not able to. Isabel died on the very same spot her lover had died not four days before. Isabel and the Cavalier were destined to be apart, no matter how much they wished otherwise. The two lovers were torn apart so cruelly by a man blinded by jealousy, and not even death gave them the peace they desired. Though they both died on the very same spot, the two lovers could not be together. Their spirits have been seen, never together, searching for each other. On some nights, people can see the blooded Cavalier searching for his Isabel. On some days, Isabel has been seen, pale and gaunt, searching for her Cavalier. No matter how hard they try, no matter how hard Isabel cries for her love, the two were separated in life and in death, never to be together. Thank you so much to Erin for reading the story for us today. As I was like going through the story just to make points mm-hmm. and stuff, I was perplexed in that I hadn't heard this story before. Because when you think yeah. of it, it is a very, very... It's a typical ghost story. It's got romance, mm-hmm. or intrigue, murder. And you would have thought that something like this would have been passed down. Yeah, I mean, this was new to me when I read it and honestly i was so excited when i when i read this because it is like you said it is so typical a ghost story that you wouldn't even think of it as being real to be tied to a genuine place one of my favorite ones definitely that i wrote was that specifically what intrigued you about this story i think what intrigued me is that or like i said it is so typical of such like a classic story that like could be out of shakespeare mm-hmm. but it was tied to the place i'd grown up in yeah that i think it was just really interesting it excited me that this was something that I, i'm interested in i like like really old stories i like romances i like kind of murder mystery intrigue yeah. and yeah, yeah. obviously princes kings yeah. queens it literally had everything it I feels was. classic it it feels like it can't have been real it was that much yep. sort of a almost a perfect kind of ghost story fairy tale sort of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. i think that excited me not just to read it myself but to explore it with other people yeah because if it excites me it's gonna excite other people and i was really looking forward to Definitely, sharing yeah, yeah. that just for clarity because i i got a bit confused i think so where exactly would this have taken place the site of the murder or the two deaths is debated we know it's on the nens we know it's still in wellingborough yeah. but the actual site isn't really known okay. because it doesn't tie to a landmark like okay the other stories do again the site of the um where the royal like part yeah, state yeah, 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 yeah. is also kind of debated okay yeah, yeah but a lot of these stories when the royal family visited wellingborough yeah it changes depending on who you ask some say that he didn't even that Charles never came to Wellingborough himself. Okay. Others say he stayed behind. Others say he stayed on Market Street 
the reason why I ask like location because for some reason and I know I'm probably wrong again it was the entrance into Morrison's car park okay I don't know why again it, it could possibly be but I think the details of that one is really really sketchy and I think that's mainly because again so many people don't know it that there isn't a definite answer and there's so many unknowns in this the cavalier the <laughs> advisor they don't have names yeah about research I did. I could never find who they're talking about. I yeah, could never yeah, find yeah. a cavalier that died in Wellingbrack. Never find a um, advisor yeah. that murdered a cavalier and was then put on trial. I couldn't even find Isabel. The only definite I could find out was that Queen Henrietta did visit Wellingborough for the healing wells. That is oh, okay. definite. Charles I did visit Northamptonshire, yeah. but he went to Castle Ashby instead. Okay. Whilst yeah, yeah, yeah. Henrietta was here. So the only definite is that Queen Henrietta was here. Now that doesn't necessarily disprove the story. Yeah, yeah. Because Isabel was there for the Queen and the Queen did visit. Yeah. And so the rest of the story could still be true. But there are so there are quite a few holes in the story that it, that it does sort of put into question how much of the ghost story yeah. is actually true. But Personally, I don't know if it needs to be a hundred percent true to be a good story. It's yeah, it's a romantic story. Yeah, you mentioned the wells. Le- legend is that the wells have some form of healing powers right in the water. It is true. Was yeah. that the reason for their visit? Yes, the actual fact of when Queen Henrietta visited is quite a few years earlier than what the story is what okay. states. Just recently after they got married, mm-hmm. she was struggling to conceive a child. So she came up here. Apparently the he- the wells were yeah, had yeah, fertility yeah. powers. Yeah. So that's why they came up here. Wild. Obviously it's it's a story, but mm-hmm. what's actually seen? So in terms of like a ghost. Yeah. They're never seen at the same time, but people see a woman dressed in mourning and sometimes they don't always see her but they sometimes they hear her obviously she's crying she's okay. calling out a name but yeah. that changes either either see that or they see the cavalier or his horse okay so they'll either see him and he's quite in quite bloodied clothing because yeah. he has just been murdered so you can't really yeah. blame him for that yeah yeah or they see the horse now to be fair it's a field yeah, yeah. So you could just see a horse anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very much show-don't-tell type of entity. entity yeah. <laughs> they either see so either see a man or a woman searching for somebody. Yeah. And it is believed they're searching for each other. What I find interesting, because as I said, I've never heard this story before. Mm-hmm. And the other people I was telling about this story, they've never heard it before. Yeah. So I'm curious, the people that have claimed to see... Uh, either Isabel or the Cavalier Mm -hmm. did they know the story prior or was it just I don't think they did know the story prior Mm -hmm. I think it is the person who wrote the story that I'd read just did his own research got this story from that person learned the story about like when the Queen visited yeah sort of perhaps learned something that I didn't find about perhaps a murder that happened here Yeah, yeah 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 and he just made the connections himself Okay, so in theory, it could be a loosely stringed together story that never really happened. It is possible. 
these things could be entirely unrelated. But when you read the story, and especially if you have a sort of understanding of how the politics and that worked at that time, Mm -hmm. it's not outrageous. It's not outlandish. You could see that happening. Definitely. It sort of plays into the old stereotype of unfinished business. Yeah. I guess. I think that adds to the whole idea of it's a classic ghost story. The thing that got me about that as somebody who has always loved Shakespeare is the whole star-crossed lovers thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason they had to hide the fact that Isabel was in love with the Cavalier and vice versa is because their families didn't agree. And even upon death, they still can't find each other. Yeah. I think there's something quite sad and kind of beautiful about that. I think that's one of the reasons why this one stuck out to me. It's something I really wanted to explore. In a really morbid way, it's really sweet yeah why do you think romance and ghost stories go so well together i think it's just the sheer intensity of emotion okay that fear can so easily fall into love and vice versa that there's such strong emotions that they just kind of attract each other yeah i think in a lot of ghost stories you'll find love as a source yeah because the intense emotion is there and i don't think that just yeah. dissipates i think if it's there it's always going to be there because that's the thing when because it was very pre- prevalent in this story you read it and unlike the other ones you where the idea is to feel creeped out with this mm-hmm. one you sort of feel it's it is more so sadness yeah i think that is something another thing that stuck out to me is that a lot of the other ghost stories we explore you do get a sense of creepiness a sense of fear you just don't have that here. You have a almost a cliset is a villain, he's yeah. a hero, and they just go hand in hand. Yeah. But you don't so much feel afraid mm-hmm. rather than it just gives another complete another emotion. Mm-hmm. And I think that is another thing that makes ghost stories so popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that you're not just afraid. You feel a complete wide range of emotions like ghost stories make some people feel happy they make you make you laugh make you sad and i think that's why ghost stories are so popular because i I imagine now having heard the story if i were to see the cavalier or isabel obviously i'd be creeped out but that's such a specific type of fear yeah i mean that it's not just oh that was creepy i know the lineage of what i'm looking at i think the thing that would stick out for me is that I wouldn't feel afraid, I feel sad. And I think that's one of the reasons, again, why I wanted to explore this one, is because I liked the idea of one of the ghost stories in Wellingborough not being something we have to be afraid of. With some of them, you get a real sense of fear and creepiness. And whilst that is something that we can celebrate, Uh it doesn't always necessarily have to be true. And I feel like having this clear figure you feel sorry for or you can see yourself in almost yeah with the way that the cavalier and isabel feel about each other i feel like that is something that a lot of people would want to hear about Mm -hmm. there's definitely ghost stories and movies that i've watched that have given me that same sort of melancholy yeah definitely thanks again to erin for reading this story for us Thank you for listening to this episode of Wellenborough, a ghost story podcast brought to you by Watson Theatre. 
This podcast is created in partnership with Made With Many, supported using funding by Arts Council England. This episode was written by Kirsten Harris. Be sure to share with us your thoughts and any Wellingborough-based rights you've had yourself on social media. You can find us at Wartsnall Co or visit our website at wartsnalltheatre.co.uk. And with that, we've been your hosts, Kirsten and Ross. Stay spooky, Wellingborough.